0: So a question to open us up with today. I love to get the youth started in critical thinking. Critical thinking is a bizarre concept to them. If it doesn't work the first time, then that means you quit because it doesn't work. And uh, that's not the case. So I have to do some critical thinking sometimes. I'm a firm believer, even though I wasn't quite raised, you know, um, questions. You know, you don't question God, anybody raised with that mentality. I love to ask questions. Questions always lead to just a deeper understanding, and deeper understanding always leads to just uh, more intimacy. So question. And I also want you to answer this out on your own. At times like these, make me miss Sean. Sean would always, you know, blur an obnoxious answer out that would make everyone feel awkward. But, uh, so answer this on your own. Uh, does God change his mind? Just to trigger some curiosity amongst yourself, do you think that God changes his mind? We had a very fun discussion about this uh, between uh, Pastor Casey and Pastor Kelly, and then the uh, me and Pastor Bob just stood on the fence and grinned, like I love everybody and I don't want confrontation. But again, um, it was it was a really fun it was a really fun question to get us going. So again, do you think that God changes His mind? Hopefully, we can kind of answer that today. Now, turn to me with the to the book of Genesis. Shouldn't have any issue finding that if you're in your Bible, first book, book of Genesis, and we're going to be talking about Sodom and Gomorrah and i 'm going to begin to bite off more than I can chew, so i 'm just going to wade out in there i 'm not waiting out in there i 'm diving right in, and uh, even everyone already right now is just like kind of tense like what's what 's about to happen so uh, to start off with though, I would like to apologize D has got onto me for and Chris a few others have got on me to being for being apologetic when I teach but I, I, I do want to apologize a little bit because uh, I think it 's appropriate this time i don 't want to come off. Um, you know, morbid, condemning. I, I really don't want that to be my approach. i don't want to, I don't want you to leave out here uh, just feeling beat up. I absolutely that's the last thing I want to. Um, but to to help me get my point across today, I'm going to be talking about the current state of our country. And unfortunately, when we talk about that, there is, there is a lot of negative going on. Now, Don't get me wrong. We can, there, there is plenty of good to be found. There's plenty to be hopeful for. Again, I, I firmly believe, you know, it's, it's part of being a Jesus follower that we have to believe, uh, First Corinthians, the best is yet to come. Like, the best is yet to come. Like, that's got to be a staple of what we believe. So even if things look dim, things look gray, we have to believe. Maybe not for our country. Maybe not for our country. Our country might be, be going down, but this isn't our home, guys. This is not our home. This is not going to be our eternal home. We have to be kingdom-minded. That's what we're living for right now. We're living for eternity. So, so the best is yet to come, no matter what happens in this present state. Um, the best is yet to come. So, uh, as, And I'd also kind of like to apologize, because as we approach the middle of 2021, that's pretty crazy. We're already like getting to the middle of 2021. I think we can all agree that it's, just, it's nice to see everything just moving on, kind of getting back to normal. Wouldn't you agree? I mean, Amanda and I were in Gatlinburg this weekend. It was just, you know, the restrictions are starting to relax. You know, people are getting vaccines, all that stuff. So, like, we're just kind of moving along, moving along, and, and it's, I'm just, I think I'm ready for a new season as a country. I don't know how that works. Does that is that a thing, just ready for a new season as a country? But I guess that's what we're ready for. And, I, again, um, not to be rude or, or like, uh, you know, not sensitive, not um, courteous, uh, to people, because we've experienced the the sting of COVID here in this church, uh, we, we've experienced the loss of it. But uh, I really think that I can go without seeing the word "social distance" for the rest of my life. Like, I really just don't want to ever see those words again. I'm, I'm just tired of it. Like I said, I'm ready for a new season. So we can go ahead and remove. Let's go ahead and remove the good and the bad of 2020. Let's go ahead and remove all of it that it brought. Go ahead and remove all the COVID election craziness. Let's let's remove all that stuff, and our country is still and in, and in, and. In, a, a poor condition. It's still in a, in a, in a it's still hurting, it's still suffering. All right? it, it still has a lot of brokenness to offer. The late Billy Graham, uh, he wrote a book titled A World of Flame. He dedicated an entire chapter vividly describing the sinful conditions of America. And during that, he felt that he was kind of coming off too har- harsh again, didn't want to just be condemning, didn't want to be negative. Uh, so he asked his wife, wife, Ruth, if she would take a look at it. Uh, I found this quote, after after reading, she was very much sombered by the writing and returned the document to the study where he was writing and laid it on his desk saying, if God doesn't come soon and bring judgment upon the United States, he's going to have to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah. Has anybody heard that? Anybody heard that quote? I've heard it just hundreds of times. And again, there's kind of like a stereotype that it comes with, um, the the, honestly, like kind of old school preachers, you know. just kind of preaching that same message. And I've heard that quote a lot, and, and, and honestly, I didn't agree with that. I'll be totally honest, I didn't agree with that. Yeah, it's, it's a really good look for a 25-year-old pastor to be like, Billy Graham was wrong. Uh, no, it's not a good look at all, all right? You don't disagree with Billy Graham. Honestly, I was, as, I was, as I was preparing to speak, um, I didn't quite agree with that statement. But that book was published in 1965. And when I've read about how we've progressed, Ruth was correct this country is broken, this country is in a sinful condition, we just have to be honest, we just have to recognize that, and there is a lot of hurt, and we can all agree that we desperately need Jesus. We desperately need, need Jesus. Like I said, at, at first glance, it seems like a pessimist point of view um, to, to stare at all that, um, but again, since that, our sin has only grew, in my opinion. Now, I'm going to share with you guys something, and before everyone starts to get all tense and uh, um, really offended, and that works out well, because Pastor Kelly 's not here, so then when he comes back he 's just going to have fires to put out everywhere, I'm like ha ha, ha ha, more work for you. Hope you enjoyed vacation. No um, I do I just want to give just a, a, a preface to this. The things i 'm about to talk about are not political, okay? They are political, but it 's because we 've made them political they 're not political, and again i 'm sharing this and i 'm going to be making a point, so please just just stay with me for for a second. So one quick example how I think our Senate grew from that, there's a new bill. Uh, it's passed through the House, and everyone's like, oh, he really is talking about politics. I'm getting so nervous. I love it. Uh, there's a new bill. that's passed through the House of Representatives that now sits uh, on the Senate floor waiting a vote. It's called the Equality Act of 2021. Now, this is not to be confused with the Civil Rights Act of 1964 that tried to right some of America's wrongs. We got it wrong then, all right? We tried to do, we tried to pass some legislation that was correct. I mean, they they had tried to right some of America's wrongs after slavery and tried to use legislation to end racism again. We needed that bill. We needed that, and that's the common one now. Um, You can't discriminate based on race or sex or anything like that. Um, And again, that that bill was was correct when we got it. We still need to keep that in place. But uh, um, this bill is is supposed to, like, um, piggyback off of that. And this act focuses more on discrimination of transgender persons. And again, this doesn't sound too bad. I mean, we the church, we're not supposed to um, you know, separate these people from these people. We are called to love, all right? That is our first. We are called to love. We are called to be Jesus to people. So it doesn't sound too bad when we kind of take a uh, just an overview at it. I, I'm not going to discriminate. I'm not going to treat anyone different because of their um, whatever they have, uh, whatever, transge- transgender, homosexuality. Um, color of their skin, none of that. I'm not going to treat you different, absolutely not, because, again, that I wouldn't be representing Jesus. Uh, So this doesn't sound too bad until you read more, until you actually realize that it is targeting religious institutions, a.k.a. the church. And, again, this is kind of like a worst-case scenario, but it's actually happened a few times already. To help me get my point across, let's say that 412 goes down this June to Panama City. We're going down, we're having a great time in youth camp, and uh, we have a young man come up, Pretty sure every guy here, we've been a teenager before, we know how our minds work. So we got a guy come up to me and he says, hey, just let you know, I identify as a girl now. And that means that I'm going to have to go shower with the girls. I'm going to have to go sleep in the girls' bunk. I say no, and that means we become targeted. We can't legally do that if this bill gets passed. And then that means that uh, we would get penalized. And then we could lose uh, tax credits, uh, tax exemptions that we have. Again, this is targeting institutions like the church. Again, this is kind of political because we made it polit- political, but stay with me. This is uh, just a spoiler alert also. Uh, I started crying in the first service, and it was really sweet. Like, he's crying. He's trying to get his point across. And then, like, 60 seconds later, like, he's still crying. Like, <laughs> you cry, and then you're, like, you're supposed to recover. And there wasn't a lot of recovery. But uh, just to go more on our, uh, where we as a country have got it wrong... There's, uh, depending on which statistics you look at, there's about 800,000 to a million abortions that take place every year in America. 19% of those happen after the second trimester. So uh, anatomy's already figured out and all that. It doesn't matter where you line up politically, I don't care, but we have to fight for life. All right? followers of Jesus, we're going to fight for life. We're not going to back down for that. We're not going to be intimidated or bullied into thinking any other way. We're not going to compromise our core beliefs. We have to fight for life. That's all there is to it, and we're going to fight for that. So is that political? I mean, we we, we vote in politics to fix that problem. So we overturn Roe versus Wade. That's what what we do to to fix this problem. Will no more abortions fix the problem and right the wrongs? Not necessarily, because every year about twenty thousand mothers decide not to go through with abortion, thank God, but the babies are born with a neonatal abstinence syndrome. And that's where the babies suffer from the withdrawals of opioid abuse. The babies. The babies have to suffer with that. Again, we looked at the that's the country. That's 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 the big problem. We we can't fix the big problem. A thousand of those were born in East Tennessee in two thousand nineteen. We're starting to hit too close to home, guys. We're starting to hit too close to home. If you think I'm being political, I'm not, all right? I'm not because this isn't a political problem because politicians aren't going to fix it. Politicians are not going to fix this. We can pass the right legislation all day long to save us from our sin, and we're not going to vote A-1 to save us from our sin. The one came to save us from our sin. He doesn't need to return to come back to save us again. He did it already. The work is done. We just have to be Jesus to people. We have to get the word out. All right, church? Everyone's still tense. So, like, are we really allowed to talk about legislation in the church? I don't think we are, but I did anyways. Like I said, Pastor Kelly can figure out when we get here. I shared these statistics with our men at a man-up breakfast. This was kind of back when quarantine was like everything was much stricter, bigger deal. And I shared, and again, we moved the entire year. I think 2020 just shed a light on some of our already pre-existing conditions. I think it just magnified a few things, exposed a lot of the brokenness that we already had, that we we're already experiencing. If we move that out, and, and the, the title of my message was, we're already in a pandemic. We're already in an epidemic of fatherless homes, of drug abuse, of abortion, of racism. We're already in a pandemic of sin running rampant in church. We have to do something about that. This country is in, is in still rough shape, and it's time this church began loving our community and caring for our community. Pastor Kelly uh, re- shared with you all last week on our anniversary that kind of rebranded the church, uh, changing the name to Watts Bar Community Church. We do that because we are for the community. We're here for the community and we want to see our community changed. So go ahead and turn with me to Genesis 18. I am going to read some Bible today, not just uh, laws, so it's going to be good. Genesis 18 is where we're going to begin uh, reading this fascinating story, uh, where we see Abraham interact with God. And again, God God would come down and meet with many of the different prophets, um, speak with many people in the Old Testament. But this interaction is just it's 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 just got a different tone than a lot of the rest of them. To catch everyone up in Genesis. Uh, Obviously, we're still pretty early on in Genesis 18, so we've had the creation of literally everything. Uh, we had the flood, we had Noah's Ark, Tower of Babel, and uh, now in Genesis chapter in chapter 15, we're introduced to Abram and Sarai. The Lord meets with Abram to share how God is just going to how he's just going to tr- dramatically use Abram. I mean, he's just absolutely going to transform his life and, and and do incredible things to him. Side note: Abram had messed up many times at this point. He had got it wrong many times up in this point, and still God decided to use him after God shared with him that he wanted him that he was going to use him Abram Abram still got it wrong but again God chose to still use him he says he plans on making him the father of many nations and even in Abram's old age he's going to have a son so uh, a lot of us are familiar with the story God's promises aren't coming to pass as quickly as they would as they should how many y'all love when that happens yeah so then we start getting creative and of course God needs a little help he needs a little help we're going to help him along Uh, And then that's when we're introduced to Hagar and Ishmael, uh, where Sarah says, God said he's going to give me a son, but it's actually going to be through my servant. Uh, So, of course, Abram sleeps with Hagar, and then that's where we get Ishmael. After that bump in the road, God meets with Abram again to establish his covenant with him. And this is Genesis chapter 1, verse 18. I had a clicker and I lost it. Oh, thanks. It kind of worked, and uh, I didn't, I yelled at Chloe, first service. I'm not going to do that again. They said, i got to give it a, a second. Bob lied to me because he said it was going to work. <laughs> praise the Lord. First slide there, Chloe. Super glad you're back there. Praise God. Uh, all right, Genesis chapter 18, 18, verse 1. Now the Lord appeared to Abraham by the Terebinth trees of Mamre in Hebron. Yeah, praise the Lord. There's some good words right there. While he was sitting at the tent door in the heat of the day. Uh, now, it's kind of hard to see on this screen, Sky Bible, as Pastor Casey calls it. It's hard to see on this screen because all the, the text is capitalized, but if you look in your Bibles, if you notice, uh, all the translations have Lord capitalized right there when it says, Now the Lord appeared to Abraham. We have to take note that the Lord is capitalized in that because this is where the part gets, uh, starts to get a little tricky. A lot of your Old Testament, you'll see the Spirit of the Lord came upon someone or the Lord was there, capital L, Uh, The rest of the words, lowercase. But right here, all the words are capitalized, or all the letters are capitalized. Uh, Lord is in all caps. And this is talking about God himself. This is talking about God himself. The closest translation for this is, bring up that next side, Chloe, Y-H-W-H. Don't try to pronounce it because it's impossible to pronounce. Literally impossible to pronounce. This is God's personal name. And, of course, if it looks familiar, this is actually where we get the name um, Yahweh from. We get the term, uh, the term Yahweh is rooted in this word. And again, this is God's personal name that is literally impossible to pronounce. And while I was studying this, I was reading of these old, the tales of these old Jewish scholars. And when they would uh, make manuscripts and they were copying the Bible to, to, to make uh, uh, different copies of it, every time that they would write YHWH, they would retire that pen and get a new one. They would retire that pen and get a new one because they had such a reverence for the name of God. They had such a reverence. Like, this guy is the holy of holies. Like, they had this just all, uh, just the shock and all this just mad respect for the creator, the heavens and the universe. And every time that they would write that, they would retire a pen. I was sharing this with uh, Pastor Austin, some of the um, pastors that I was going to share. And he was like, he was just fascinated by it. He's like, that's so amazing. It's so amazing and this, um, you know, Jesus, it, God is so accessible now. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for Jesus coming and making that bridge. Don't get me wrong. And we have the church that say Jesus is our bro, and that's all true. Jesus is the closest friend you can have. But at the same time, as close as he is, as much of a friend he is, uh, he's still holy. He's still sovereign. None of that changes. He is still the, the, the holy of holies. And, uh, yeah, Pastor Austin was just fascinated, like, he's so he's so close he's such a friend but yet at the same time um he's still just the one and all the great one um that hasn't really nothing to do with a message i just wanted to point that out so if we continue even deeper down this train of thought um you should be drawing some red flags this is god's actual name so this is god himself speaking speaking to abram god speaking to abraham so that, would that not be wild actually meeting god in person like to actual meet God in person. If you think about it, in Exodus, when Moses is encountering the Lord, when he's meeting with him, he says, Gabe, um, I'm getting a lot of feedback or something. Make sure all the other mics are muted. Or something's going on. I'm not totally sure. It's distracting me, though. Thank you. Um, if you think about it, in, in Moses, in Exodus, Moses is asking, you know, first he asked who, I, uh, you know, who, who he was. God said, I am. And then he said, I want to see you. And then God basically said, you can't handle it. And then he was like, no, Pharrell, I want to see you. And he was like, you actually can't handle it. Like, you cannot handle the look upon my face. Um, So then he ends up, like, seeing the back of the hem of his garment or something like that. Um, So God told Moses, "You, you can't look upon me. But again, this is still God talking in person to Abraham. And according to John 1, chapter 1, verse 18, if you pull that up for me, Chloe, no one has ever seen God the one and only Son who is himself God and is at the Father's side, he has revealed him. And then later on, I don't have this verse up there, it's in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 16. Timothy says, he, uh, he says, no one has ever seen God the Father. So we have God here in the flesh, but it's not God the Father. So if we draw a line from point A to point B, God in the flesh, who is Jesus, is meeting here with Abraham. Thousands and thousands before the birth at Bethlehem, thousands and thousands before Jesus came as a baby, the second in the Trinity, Jesus is meeting with Abraham. Isn't that wild? You guys think I'm lying to you, don't? I did my research. This is accurate. Jesus is meeting here with Abraham. Abraham is talking to Jesus. This happens a few other times, uh, turns out, in the Old Testament, where Jesus himself would come down and meet with him. Um, But I just I find this so fascinating and then actually I I was studying it It made me think about Pastor Kelly spoke two weeks ago He spoke two weeks ago talking about the origins the origins and then he said uh, John chapter 8 verse 58 He says very truly. I tell you before Abraham was I am That's Jesus speaking very truly. I tell you before Abraham was I am It's amazing when we read the verses but then when we actually read about the story that, that, that Jesus is describing here, Jesus said, listen, I'm here speaking to you now, but thousands of years ago, even, even before Father Abraham, the ones you guys look up to, I was there then. Jesus has been at, the work, uh, at work before the beginning, thousands of years ago, before he was birthed from Mary. That's just how truly incredible our God is. Um, so, yeah, you didn't know I was a theologian, but I am. So, paint me. No, I'm kidding. We've uh, scoot down to verse 20, um, just paraphrase for time, verses 1 to 20. Again, um, Jesus is talking with Abraham, there's two other angels. They're speaking with Abraham, and then he's reconfirming his covenant with Abraham. He's reaffirming, uh, you are going to have a son. And then he makes it very specific, the son is going to come from Sarah, your wife. No more loopholes, no more trying to figure this out on your own, just be patient. It's going to come from your wife. So he makes things a little bit more clear um, about what God's going to do. And he, he speaks with Sarah this time, affirms things with her. And then he has this incredible, he, he's talking about Sodom and Gomorrah in his mind. Jesus is. And then Jesus decides to let Abraham on, uh, in on his plans for Sodom and Gomorrah. And that's where we start reading in verse 20. And I might skip through th- some of these just for time's sake as well. Um, but this is verse 20. If Chloe's still working on pulling it up. Bingo. Then the Lord said, the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is immense. Their sin is extremely serious. I will go down to see if what they have justifies the cry that he has come up to me. If not, I will find out. Verse 22, then the men turned from there and went towards Sodom while Abraham remained standing before the Lord. Uh, Verse 23, so again, they're standing right there. They're talking about Jesus is saying like, I mean, their sin is great. They've been, I've heard their cries. I've heard their pleas and I'm going to come do something about it. And then Abraham is just watching this crazy, uh, you know, conversation that Jesus is having. And then Jesus sends those two other angels to uh, Sodom and Gomorrah. Verse 23, Abram stepped forward. Abram stepped forward and said, will you really sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Now, you have to understand the time that we're speaking in. Again, Jesus is so accessible. He's, he, he is that friend. He is that, I mean, he, he is everything you could imagine. He is the father with open arms waiting to accept you. But the time we're in, the Old Testament, I mean, you had to go through all the religious regulations to go to meet with God, okay? I mean, you had to go through all these things. The perfect sacrifice hadn't been made yet. So he's already talking to Jesus And at the same, like, it's just got to be intimidating. Do you hear what I'm saying? I mean, it's got to be, for Abraham, in this sense, it's got to be intimidating to be talking to Jesus. But rather than just listening and saying, yes, sir, no, sir, Abraham begins to have this wild conversation. He just begins to step out, and he begins to uh, question God in this moment. And Abraham stepped forward and said, will you really sweep away the righteous with the wicked? What if there are 50 righteous people in the city? Will you really sweep it away instead of sparing the place for the sake of the 50 righteous people who are in it? And then he goes on, verse um, 24, I believe. You could not possibly do such a thing. Again, this is Abraham speaking to Jesus. You could not possibly do such a thing to kill the righteous with the wicked. Treating the righteous and the wicked alike, you could not possibly do that. Won't the judge of the whole earth do what is just? Again, Abraham is waiting out in there. I mean, he is he, really confronting Jesus. And then this conversation goes on, verse 26. You're still doing a great job, Chloe. Awesome. Thank you. Then the Lord said, If I find 50 righteous people in the city of Sodom, I will spare the whole place for their sake. Verse 27, Then Abraham answered, Since I have ventured to speak to my Lord. Again, he realizes like, I could probably just be struck down as it is, like I'm way out of my league here, you know, confronting you on issues like on how things I should go. Um, But again, Abraham is interceding for the city. He says, since I ventured to speak to you, my Lord, even though I am dust dust and ashes, suppose the 50 righteous lack five. Will you destroy the whole city for the lack of five? He replied, I will not destroy the city, if I find 45 there. This conversation goes on. I'm going to go ahead and begin to abbreviate. Um, so they start out with 50. Abraham begins pleading with the Lord. What, what, what if there's 50 people? you got to understand, the city, the city of Sodom and Gomorrah, it's somewhere about 200, 250,000. So a quarter million people here. And Abraham asks, if we find 50, would you spare the city? Would you, would you have enough grace to spare the righteous? If, if we could find 50, would you spare that city? And, of course, Jesus is full of grace, guys. He's full of grace. He didn't want to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. He is a graceful God, all right? He loves us. So he agreed. He was quick to agree. He said, if I found 50, I wouldn't destroy the city. And Abraham and it continues to just press in, to press in. He goes down to 45. He goes down to 40. After that, Abram begins to get a little bit bolder. He actually starts going in increments of 10. So it gets God down like he is haggling with God here, okay? He is haggling with Jesus, trying to make a deal with the Lord. And he goes all the way down. He goes from four, to 30 to 20 and then down to 10. And they make this deal. They reach this settlement. He says, Jesus says, if you find 10 righteous people, if you find, if you find ten righteous people in the monks of, of two hundred and fifty thousand people, I would spare the city Three observations that I want to make um, um, from this story that just really stands out to me reminder Abraham is a wealthy man I mean he's going to be the father of many nations here he has a he has a, a large amount of land uh, he has this an entire state set up on it hundreds of lives i mean thousands of livestock and that 's how they of course um, calculated the wealth so thousands of livestock and all these servants to tend to it all in mean, the guy is totally set I mean you, you got to just kind of visualize the picture here a little bit like here is Jesus and Abraham talking like behind him he, he lacks nothing he, there's nothing back here he doesn't need honestly you, you, you kind of have like a little like um, I guess tension between like urban areas like the city and the country like the city's like these bunch of rednecks and then us country folks are like, I don't know what we call them. I guess we're just rednecks. We don't have good things to call the city. But again, I imagine there's just a little bit of tension here. I'm trying to set up the stage. Follow me, if you will, all right? Uh, So I imagine there's a tension here. He's got his big country estate, all this. He needs nothing. He's looking out to this city. Honestly, it's just got to be an eyesore, Right? Like, honestly, like, they just, they just have to be a nuisance. I mean, I mean this city, I mean, if they're that sinful, honestly, he's got to probably worry about his land. Like, what if they come up here and try to steal my things or harass my servants or, or steal my bride? You know, any of that. Like, you know, this has just got to be a nuisance for him. Rather than that, though, rather than, okay, Jesus, go get him. Like, I'm not about to question you. You, you go and, and smite him down, whatever you have to do. But yet he is moved enough to make a plea, to begin to, to, to bargain with the Lord on their behalf. He puts himself on the line to bargain for these people that he doesn't know. We should be convicted by the love that Abraham has for people. We should be be just overwhelmed, just truly convicted at the love that Abraham has for his neighbor. They don't vote like him. They don't live like him. They don't agree with him. But yet, he says, no, Lord. No, would you please spare them? And this current politically divided racial tensions just trying to be amplified and and everyone seems to be looking to, to looking for a reason to be offended i can't wait to see how many people are offended by this message it's gonna be a lot of fun um but amongst all that we have to be loving our community like abraham loved his second observation i mean god is so strategic in everything he does Every word, every word that he says, every encounter, every action, everything he does is, is with such purpose and with such planning, all right? I try to explain it to my youth, uh, but truthfully, I don't understand, so it's like hard to explain. I'm just like, you just kind of got to fill in the blanks with faith. But I'm trying to explain to them like God is outside of time. You know, we think of God as a time traveler, like he can travel in the future and see it and he can travel in the past. God lives outside of time, all right? So I like to think of it as like, here's this whole chronological slate, all right? God is above that, okay? He's above that looking down, all right? He is the author and creator of everything, so he is outside of time. So we have to believe that everything he does, I mean, he knows the end from the beginning. He's such a great planner. And in this picture, we we get to see a a little bit of the New Testament, I think. A lot of times when people think of the New Testament and the Old Testament, uh, uh, the most popular story is David, and you might not know this, you might be familiar with David and Goliath and, and King David and all that. But actually, in, in the story of David, we get a glimpse of what the New Testament is, New Testament is supposed to look like. Uh, in that one story, David and his fellow soldiers are hungry. So they go into the, uh, they go into the tabernacle, tabernacle, tabernacle and then are eating the bread that is reserved uh, for a sacrifice. Like they approached God, uh, a lot of times they would have ropes on the priest that would go in because if they were unclean that they would fall dead and they'd have to pull them back out. So David walks in boldly before God, boldly through the throne, to the throne to meet with Jesus. Again, that is what, that is what Jesus did. He, he made that bridge. He, 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 um, you know, he made that gap. He closed that gap for us so that we get to come boldly through the, uh, to the throne. And that's what the New Testament uh, is in a nutshell. But yet in the Old Testament we get to see David doing it. Uh, and that's that's probably the best example. But this story right here is a close second. This story is a close te- second to what um, the New Testament looks like, and it, and it's so strategic that Jesus is the one meeting with Abraham rather than the Lord Himself, because when Jesus meets, this is this is exactly what Jesus came to do, for us to experience the love that He has for us, so that we can go out and love our neighbor. We love God, and then we love people. So this story, reading now, is a close second. I mean, the love. Uh, where, where your heart breaks for what the father's heart breaks for and, and that's what abraham was doing And that's what we need to be doing not just for the saved but for the lost for the broken for the unloved And this compassion that abraham Is is displaying this desire to see the lost to intercede for them uh, To see the broken restored. That is exactly what we need to be. We need to be challenged by that We need to chal- or be challenged by that. We want to see sinners transformed see sinners transformed by grace um, Pastor Bob or Bubba, if you don't mind to go ahead and come on up. I know I'll get invited back to preach because I'm a good 20 minutes shorter than Pastor Kelly. So doesn't matter if my content's any good. Y'all just like to get out of here. I know y'all. You like to eat with the Baptist people at the restaurants. That's what we get to do. So we got to take note of how Abraham is interacting. He's interceding. And I wrote this. I want, I want to share with you guys. Church, we never look more like Jesus than when we love our neighbor. We're never closer to Jesus when we worship. We're never closer to the Father's heart than when we worship, when we love on him, when we just, just pour out all praise and glory and honor. We're never closer to Jesus than we worship, but we never look more like him than when we love one another. It's exactly what Jesus came for. It's exactly his goal, his mission. The first, the first commandment above all is love God. The second one, to love your neighbor. So do I think God changes his mind um. yeah, or no, or not really, maybe, I, don't, I really don't know, um, honestly, I'm not, I'm not sure if I'm educated enough to answer that question, like I said, we had a great debate, um, if he did change his mind, uh, it wouldn't be because he was indecisive, because that's not who God is, all right, um, so if it was because he was indecisive, that's definitely not the case. If he does so, again, it's still with plan and for purpose. So uh, there's, there's a lot of arguments to go back and forth. So I'm not sure if he changes his mind or not, but I do know that he is moved by compassion. He's moved by compassion. You may have heard it before that God is activated by our faith, and that's true. He's activated by our, activated, activated by our faith. His power is activated by our faith, but he is moved by compassion, his heart—we move his heart when we have compassion. And what does that look like? I mean, we can we can do the we can do the cop-out answer: loving your neighbor, loving them no matter what they look like. But to have an actual, authentic love for them, to where it moves for you, where where it moves you to actually intercede for him. I wish there were, I wish there was that more how-to to this message, but there's not. I wish there was a, a, a three-step plan, Boyd. I wish we had, you know, he lays it out. You start doing this, start doing this, and that's how that's how you're going to see everyone in your city come to Jesus. And we say community more than city because, you know, our city is Spring City, and it's like a 1,000 people, so it's not really a city. That's why we say community, to reach our community, to see our community changed. And like I said, I, I really don't know what this looks like. I know um, there's a story that Pastor Bill Johnson shares in Bethel, and he talks about... Um, Kind of getting off subject a little bit, but uh, he was asked about his uh, mall ministry. They asked him who was over the mall ministry because there was this group that would go into the shopping mall. And uh, they had people getting healed of just everything. Had people being set free, chains broken, and and of course um, experiencing salvation. And they were asking about his mall ministry. He said, we don't have a mall ministry. We have people that love Jesus and then go shopping at the mall. That's what it's like, church. That's what it's like to. In Casey was all over it, taking Jesus out of uh, out of here with you. All right, the church begins when we leave out of these four walls. That's when it starts. So that was where I was originally going to end my message. That was originally where I was going to conclude right there. Give my altar call, just just prayer of you guys. And I, as I was preparing for this, all of my points were for us to be more like Abraham, to be more like him, to to intercede like him, to love like him, to. To, to go before the Lord, to, to plea uh, on behalf of our, our, our neighbors like him for our community, to intercede like him, like I said. And as I was continuing reading and praying, I sadly realized how similar we already are to Abraham. So we read all of chapter 18 up until the last verse, and you know, that amazing story between Jesus and Abraham, how he had that interaction, that conversation, and then they met, they, they reached a, a verbal agreement, they made a deal. And this is verse 33, Chloe, if you pull that up. This is how that chapter closes out. When the Lord had finished speaking with Abraham, he departed. And Abraham returned to his place. Some translations say Abraham returned to his own place. He came in and he met with Jesus. And then he returned to his own place. Abraham came in on a Sunday morning, was close to Jesus, worshiped Jesus, talked with Jesus, made a deal with Jesus, and then he returned home. Again, I'm not here to point fingers. But it's time we quit coming in here, having these powerful worship experiences, and then leaving the Jesus that we experience sitting in this church. Not to just return to our own place, to take him with us. So it's hard to point fingers at Abraham, but... uh, we, we, we got to do a little bit of speculating here. I mean, again, you can't knock the guy. I mean, he stepped out. He interceded for the people, showing compassion, showing love like we should love our, our community. But I can't help but think that Abraham stopped short of what he was supposed to do. That Abraham settled. Did he stop short of what he was supposed to do. Because the very next chapter, the two angels visit Sodom and Gomorrah, realize that their weakness, wickedness is overwhelming and the city is destroyed. And I think it's because Abraham returned home. Church, we have to be willing to go into the community. We have to be willing to go into the city to get our hands dirty, to make a plea, to, be, to go intercede for the people, to tell them about Jesus, all right? That is exactly what we're called to do. Go ahead and stand with me if you don't mind.